0: Online at crossculture.church. From Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is Crosswalk, a weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of Cross Culture Church. Thank you for joining us. Now, here's this week's message from Cross Culture Church
1: Amen. Thanksgiving in all things. Uh, our God is a good God, He's a glorious God. I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord today and to Share this time with y'all. I love opening His Word and um, reflecting on who He is and and all He does, and um, learning a little bit about how to walk in that newness of life that He gives us. So, um, in preparation for today's uh, message, um, thankfulness is such a powerful picture. Um, I found myself this morning um, still kind of weighed down, uh, by how I acted at a game night last night. I was, I got a little angry because I wasn't winning, or (laughs) I, I had a lot of struggle with my opponents, and they, they, you know, they joke around. I love it, and they, they're playing a game, and they're having fun, and, and, uh, I, I get to the end, and I'm, I'm realizing that I'm a little angry, and I'm a little upset, um, and I, I said some things I didn't feel were right, uh, and, um, I have since apologized for those things, but uh, I, I woke up, and I was like, Lord, I, I'm ready, but I, I'm not ready, and he was like, well, you know, you're not ready because you haven't come to me with this. You're, you're, you're weighed down by some of your shame for how you, you acted, because at this game night, we uh, were joking around about how I would be standing up here preaching the next day, and, and then here I am being like, mm, you know, I'm a little salty, I'm a little spicy, so... Uh, I just <laughs> was very aware but, of that, and it was just like, ugh, this, gosh, hide me. Um, but we have a God who sees us and knows us, and he sees every person, and he knows every person. And so when we, when we experience life and we look at God, how has he set things to be? I believe very firmly, y'all, that God sets right, that God sets things right. We're going to be in Zechariah 3 this morning. Zechariah is in the end of the Old Testament. It's uh, a lovely book and a time when Israel is, um, the temple's in ruins and they've been a people in exile for a very long time. And they're wondering, where are you, Lord? What are you doing? So, I think it's very timely that he brings us here. Um, with, with that idea and understanding of God sets right, we also need to keep in mind as we start to read this that God is God and God is in control. God is God and God is in control. And so, as we, as we walk through this passage, I'm going to read it and then we'll take it piece by piece, we'll separate it out and we'll summarize, and, and we're just going to chew on it this morning. Um, And we'll see what the Lord does in each of our hearts today. But as we read, remember that God sets right, and it is uh, he who's in control. Zechariah 3, starting in verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we come before your throne, we come before your courts, we come before your very presence to hear what you would tell us. We come knowing who we are, we come um, hoping to see you more clearly for who you are, and I pray that you speak today. And We pray all of these things, knowing and trusting that you're good and that you love us and that you want us to understand you. And it's in your name, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So, this is Zechariah having a dream. This is Zechariah who has this vision. And let me give you a little history, and then we'll summarize what we just read in, in a picture of a story. So that'll help us break it up into pieces and understand it a little better. So, Israel has and Judah have turned from God. They turned from God for a long time and God warned them and warned them and warned them and they didn't follow him. And so they were a people that were defeated and they were sent into exile. There were people that were overcome in the temple, the very presence of God, the thing that represented God with them in the city of peace, destroyed, laid bare, rubble. And so it's a people that is torn apart from, separated from one another. There are people who have Lost their way. They, there are people who look around and say, "God, where are you?" And and every every time they cry, they 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 don't hear him. And there are people who have uh, struggled to follow him all their lives. I think we can identify with some of this. And Zechariah is. Uh, writing alongside Haggai. There are two prophets that were dwelling in Jerusalem at this time, 70 years after, Jeru- after Jeremiah, who proclaimed, it's 70 years of your punishment. And in 70 years, I will restore. In 70 years, I'm going to build my temple. In 70 years, my presence is going to be here. And it's right about that time, and the people are looking around, and they're like, you still see rubble. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, if these people are still in exile, Lord, what's, what's happening? And if we read Ezra and Nehemiah, we know that God is preparing the king of the country that defeated them to give them all the supplies to build the temple, to send them workers and all this stuff. Like, God was already orchestrating this, but they, they couldn't see it yet. And Zechariah has this vision, and in it he sees the high priest, who's dwelling in Jerusalem, this high priest of an order who, of priests who haven't followed the Lord, an order of priests who have taken responsibility, and they—they're supposed to be the ones who take the, and bring the sacrifices and take the iniquity for the people and bring them to, before the Lord. And I, what weight to know that they were responsible for pointing the people back to the Lord, and they played a huge part in what happened? So he says, I see, I see Joshua, the high priest, standing before God, and he's wearing these filthy clothes, and, and Satan's standing right next to him, and he's like, yeah, he's wearing filthy clothes, God. Yeah, he's a high priest who has done terrible things. He's a high priest that's not pure in your eyes. Like The whole point was for the high priest to be pure so that he could bring the sacrifices." of the people to the Lord so that it would prepare the people and, and restore the relationship. But the high priest himself is unclean. What, what is this? And, and God sits there and he just goes, no, 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 stop. You're rebuked. It's not your turn to talk anymore. Because why? He's a, he's a brand plucked from the fire. He's like a stick that's been in the fire and you're standing there and you're saying, see, he's on fire. It's like, duh. (laughs) He was in the fire, but I've taken him out. Not only have I taken him out, but I put him there to stir things, to to bend my people, incline them to my ear, to show them that (laughs) I'm doing something. So, So, no, it's not your turn anymore. Of course, he's on fire. I know. Not only that, but take his filthy clothes away before me. I'm going to restore his clean clothes. And Zechariah is watching this and he's like, oh, the clean clothes are getting put on. That means the priesthood is being made pure again. He doesn't say, yeah, said it all right, God. He says, please put the turban on, like that last piece, that crown of the order. He says, put it back on, put it back on, please. This is it. He's getting excited. He's like, come on. And And God's like, put it on. Let's do it. Restore my people. And then he he stands up and further he says, not only that, but I'm going to take away your iniquity. He says, let me assure you, if you follow me, if you walk in my way, if you keep my charge, I'm going to make access to my very presence available to make access to my presence available. Not only that, but your are people. You'll be a sign that this access is available. That, that you will be a, a people that, that I have loved, that I have pulled from the fire, that sometimes I've put back in to stir things up, that I've made clean, that I've made whole, and that is a testimony of the branch who's coming, of the servant who's coming. He says not only this branch, but I've put a stone in front of Joshua. So if you don't get the stick reference, then I've put a stone in front of him. And it's like sticks and stones. Okay. <laughs> he says, this stone has seven eyes. And in a dream, I mean, weird stuff happens, right? So you have this rock that has seven eyes on it. Or you can think of it like seven facets or seven cuts. This, this stone is sitting before Joshua. And he says, this stone I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord. I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In a single day. I'm that powerful. I'm in control. I'm setting things right. And I will set things right consistently. He says, in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. And so, that's the dream. We've kind of read it and summarized it. So, we can understand this not only that God sets right and that God is God and God is in control, but we can also understand this because we are cleaned to cling. We're cleaned to cling to Him. That there's a purpose, there's a plan in what he's doing. And I, th- I think of shame and I think of awareness of all that, that we do. Um, and the accuser and how how he, he needles at our dirtiness before a, a holy God. but he's doing something. He's doing something, and he wants us to return to him. Because what shame does is when we feel ashamed of something, then we we don't want to go to the place that we feel that shame. And here we see Joshua standing before God. I mean, in all the awareness of how unclean he was. Uh, I, I even spilled coffee on my shirt this morning. I was like, wow, okay. I'm literally wearing a dirty, clo- <laughs> dirty shirt now. But, and and uh, Jesus came and he was like, what's that on your shirt, man? You got dirt on it. I was like, I oh, know, but I could be ashamed of this, but everybody knows and that's okay. Like God, God is accepting of our shame. He wants us to come to him. But when we are ashamed, we don't, we don't want to be seen. We don't want to be seen. And and so to to understand that God who sees all things wants us to come to Him. There's so much packed into the idea of returning to Him. Return to me and I'll return to you, it says in Zechariah 1.3. This is, obedience. And so, the result of obedience is return. So, if we, if we hear what God says about us, even when it doesn't feel right, even when we feel shame, or we experience shame, or others are feeling shame, we can understand this because God has said what was true. God, is, God gives us the truth, and He says, I love you, I have good things for you. I have a plan. I'm doing something. Come back to me. Come back. It doesn't matter how far you've run. It doesn't matter how long you've run. Come back. Because I love you. Because I love you. And so when we return to him then we see that he's been there the whole time so it's not that the reward of our obedience is return but the result of our obedience is return that's incredibly important returning to the understanding that he welcomes us back into paradise the re- returning to god in contrition in in repentance in acknowledgement of where we've strayed, returning of God to us, even reflecting on the return of Christ and how He's coming back, victorious, the vicarious Lamb. How does He do this? All right, let's walk through it again. How does He do this? In verses 1 and 2, He says, He begins by confronting evil and lies. What does He do? He doesn't start by pointing out the shame of Joshua. He says, no, no, no. Enemy, these lies, this evil, be gone. You have no place here. I have victory. I'm God. I'm in control, and I always have been. Like, yes, you're allowed to be here, but it's time for you to shush. Exactly. (laughs) He begins by confronting evil and lies, and so What does that mean in our lives? When there's evil and lies in the world, when we are encountering evil and lies, turn to the truth. Turn to His truth. What does He say? Do we trust Him? Are we, will we return to the truth? Will we return to the Lord? So He be, begins by confronting this evil and, and lies or, or half truths, even. Because He's like, yes, it's shame because it's real. Yeah. He's not a perfect person. Yeah, Joshua has done terrible things. Yes, he is dirty in my sight, but I'm the one who makes clean. He's the one who makes clean. In verses 3 through 5, he says, he restores order by removing the unclean and replacing it with the clean. And so, if we take these clean, good truths and replace evil and lies and half-truths with the good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are of this earth. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Throughout throughout Scripture. And, And God is the one who's doing this. In verses 6 through 7, he assures results of his people if they walk in his ways and keep his charge. This isn't just a, <laughs> it's not a single time, but it's a continual life lived out in the very presence of the God who knows us and loves us. This is God. And this is us. And this is life. And this is the world. And then he, And then he starts to like the, the imagery, so far, we've been able to track really closely with. And then he starts talking about this coming branch and this rock with seven eyes on it, and we're like, okay, this is getting weird. And But if we look at the rest of Scripture, when, when God says something, he doesn't, he doesn't just say it once. Sometimes he gives us it in multiple ways and at multiple different times and in multiple contexts so we can understand what he's saying. And so when he says, look... Your cleanliness before me, your repentance, you're, you're coming back to me, you're always being willing to give account for the hope that is in you. is isn't, isn't necessarily just a hope of apologetics, but it's a, it's a hope that we have because we've experienced God's forgiveness. It's a hope that's tied up in forgiveness always. It's a hope that's tied up in forgiveness no matter what. No matter the evil no matter the darkness, no matter the lies, no matter the struggle, no matter the pain and the sorrow of continual returning back to love those who don't love us. A people who walks and follows me like that, they're a sign of the coming branch. They're, They're a sign of my servant, the branch. And in Isaiah and Jeremiah, the the prophets that proclaimed what was was happening and who Haggai and Zechariah are coming in afterwards, they both talk about this root of Jesse. They talk about this branch who's coming. They talk about how the tree of Israel has been cut down and all that's left is a stump. There's like nothing. And it says from this stump, a branch will grow that will bear fruit and will grow into something that will cover the earth it's a it's a root that is left it's it is the branch of jesse it says this descendant of david this coming king it's the messianic prophecy and so we take this idea of the branch and then we look in the new testament and jesus says i'm the vine you're the branches if a man remains in me and i in him then you know, he will bear much fruit right I know we can think like, well, okay, is he the branch or is he the root? Aren't those two different things? But y'all, there's this really cool tree called the, the moringa tree. And it's called the tree of life because you can cut off a single branch or a twig and you can plant it in the ground and from that branch will grow an entirely new tree. Not only this, but you can use the bark to like soothe stomach aches. You can eat it. You can season your food with it, like it, it, it can be, every part of the tree is useful. Every part of the tree has value and importance and, and is useful for something. But it, this branch that becomes a root, that from this single thing, life can be given and healing can come. That It's Jesus. It's Him. And at the end of Revelation in, in the verse, in what chapter 22, uh, Read it. Here he says, um, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And that's, that's in heaven at the very end of time. He's like, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. I give life, and it's in me. So, so if, if our lives of understanding guilt and shame and and forgiveness and continually being willing to return to the Lord and return um, to the truth can be testaments of what God's done in our lives and what He is doing. Like, that is the stuff. (laughs) That is it. And He says, hey, if you don't get that, there's this rock, there's this stone and it's got seven eyes. And I, I was like, I, I do not get this. And so I, I looked, and there's a whole bunch of different interpretations. And you know what? I think they're all right. One, one uh, commentary was saying that the seven eyes during, um, like, in, in the olden days, uh, was indicative of something that can, it, it has no spot that's unseen. So seven, seven eyes... Uh, you know, the peacocks are seen as royalty because they have all this, like, of all the eyes and stuff like that. It, if you look back into antiquity, you see lots of eyes means knowledge and wisdom, awareness, perspective, intelligence. And so if this, if this rock has all these eyes, nothing is left unseen. We know that God sees all things. He knows all things. He, he is that through wisdom he created the world, it says in in Proverbs. That's our God, and he sees everything. He is all wisdom, all knowledge, and all intelligence. But if we look at it a different way, facets are like a cut of a gemstone, right? And seven is the perfect number. So if it's the perfect cut, if it's the perfect gem, it kind of reminds me of the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that was found in a, in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great value. The kingdom of heaven is, is this singular thing that is everything, right? Not only this, but if we look at the prophets, they say the stone the builders rejected will become the cornerstone. And it's when Peter turned to Jesus and said, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. He says, upon this rock, upon this confession, I will build my church. And if we look in Peter, in First and Second Peter, he uses this analogy and this imagery of the church being uh, a, a church of living stones, this, this, um, this temple, if you will, that has been built from a bunch of rubble, that comes together and symbolizes God's presence in the world, just as the temple always had. And in, in Matthew, Jesus says, He gives that parable of the rock that the house is built on. This foundation that will never be moved. This is what is foundational. This is what supports all things. Further, he says, I will engrave its inscription. And a while back, we talked in about the opening part of Hebrews and it says that, that Jesus is the exact imprint or the character of God's nature. It's like the, the carved image, the seal that's stamped, the, the, the thing that represents the very presence and the very nature and, and uh, personhood of who God is. It could could be that. And I think it is. But it could also be when when Scripture says that He he, uh, writes our names on His heart. Maybe the inscription is our very names in the rock that supports the cornerstone of the house. Like, we will never be forgotten. He knows who we are. Every person matters. You matter. And you have a purpose. And God has a plan for you. And sometimes that's being put back in the fire to, to symbolize, to be a torch of light, to 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 just stir things up, to 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 try and and bend or, or shift things in the fire so that. The living word and the consuming fire of God burns more brightly and we see God for more of who he is. Let our lives shine brightly because he is the light of the world. It's like, so cool. He says, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord, and I will remove their iniquity of the land in a single day. So I think all of those things are right. I think all of them are right. And back then, the role of the high priest was to um, especially come before God on the Day of Atonement, which was symbolizing the day after the tabernacle had been built, the day after the temple had been built, and it was the day that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, to the very presence of God that symbolized the garden, that had in it the law and the rod that had buds on it, um, symbolizing his gardens and and paradise. And he would walk into the very presence of God, and he would give these sacrifices, but they did it again and again and again every year. And he says, no, 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 on a single day, I'm going to do all these things. In a single day, it's going to be done. In a single day, I'm going to come, and I'm going to change everything. In a single day, I'm going to come, and I'm going to save you. And so, when we look at lives where we continually feel like we're wearing filthy garments or we continually see like oh man god everybody sees that i'm a christian and i don't have it together it's like yeah tell them because that's a testament for what god is doing in your life and the forgiveness that comes from that be people who also forgive because in the lord's prayer jesus says forgive us as we forgive those who trespass against us it's there it's there that's the good news. He will remove our iniquity in a single day. And when He does that, y'all, when we are individuals who really capture this, who are cleaned people, cleaned to cling, when we cling to the Lord and we go into our families and our families become families that cling to the Lord. Like we, we deal with all the, the shame and the... And the Shitters and the like things that aren't going well and and, and we come together as families and we forgive and we uplift and we encourage and we we point to the lord then we become families that participate in a culture that needs to see what forgiveness looks like and what not having it all together looks like and that's okay <laughs> because it's not about us having it together. It is God who sets right, and it is a God who's in control. It all is built together. This is the house. These are all the stones that are pieced together, that he's, he's said from the beginning. He's established this, and if we be families or individuals that come to the church that is the family of God, then when he says that we're children of his, then we all piece together to become the church, the, the house of God. And so when it says in the last verse 10, in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, this day being every day, because his gospel applies every day, every day is new before him, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree because we've experienced prosperity and peace and growth. And he's the, the tree's not done growing yet but he's doing something, and fruit is being produced, and and God is good. Share what he's doing. And so it ends with such a look at today, yesterday, and tomorrow, and it's this alignment of all that God is and what he's doing and all of what his people are and and what they're doing, and he says, don't quit. Don't give up. the endurance that can feel so difficult is always summed up in this simple phrase, cling to the king. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's all it ever was. It's all it will ever be. He's good. He's so good, y'all. He loves us and he, he knows what he's doing even when we can't see it and we, we struggle to see it and, and we're going through pain. And so when we sang the Lamb of God, and it starts by, uh, um, he came from heaven's throne, acquainted with our sorrow. Like I just, I couldn't even, I just like, started crying because he was cut, he, he willingly separated from the, the tree of life. He came and he planted his very life in the world to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He knows the pain and the sorrow that we go through. Like, that's why it's always Jesus. And so, Spurgeon, man, he, like, it's never been about the high priest because it's always been about the high priest, It's never been about the lamb that we sacrifice because it's always been about the lamb. It's never been about uh, our kings or our rulers because it's always been about the king. It's never been about the shepherd we have to lead us because it's always been about the shepherd we have to lead us. It's always been about him. And Spurgeon, he ended a, a powerful sermon on... The God who's unchanging with, with this, he says, Oh, says one child of God, I had built my house firmly once upon some stable promises. There came a wind, and I said, Oh, Lord, I'm cast down, and I shall be lost. Oh, the promises were not cast down. The foundations were not removed. It was your little wood, hay, and stubble hut that you had been building. It was that which fell down. You have been shaken on the rock, not the rock under you. Therefore, put your hope in the unchanging one. Cling to the King. God sets all things right. God is God. God is in control. We're cleaned so that we can cling to Him. The result of our obedience is the return of us to Him, And his return to us, our return to others, and their return to us, love God, love others. Clean.
0: We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. cross. Online at crossculture.church.